All right. Well, this morning, uh, we are wrapping up our study uh, of the book of Lamentations. Okay, so if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn with me to Lamentations chapter 5. Lamentations chapter 5. Today is a little bit unique. Uh, um, a little bit unique because this message is actually doing two things at once. It's wrapping up our Lamentations series, but at the same exact time, it's starting our new Christmas series going through the themes of Advent. And today, um, our focus and theme is hope. Okay, and so I figured, hey, why not a challenge? I'll start, I'll do something Christmassy in Lamentations 5. Okay. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure uh, that previous to this sermon series in Lamentations, uh, that Lamentations would not have been on any of us in this room, any of our top 10 books of the Bible list. If I were to take a survey, your 10 favorite books of the Bible, I guarantee uh, there might be one strange one among us who would be, oh, Lamentations, this is one of my favorite. But God, um, but even, you know, and, and that's even true for me, um, but God's been so faithful in this season. Um, and that, that book, this book, might still not be there for you, uh, but I at least hope uh, that you love it more today than you did before we started uh, this series. You know, to be honest, um, this book and the last few weeks in it in particular, the last two weeks, chapter three, chapter four, last week, um, I'll be honest, has surprised me, um, surprised me. Um, I, I knew going into Lamentations how dark it was, how hard of a book it, it, it was to read, even for me personally. But God has been so faithful in teaching us his truths through it. And I also just wanted to say, uh, before we get going in chapter 5, I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you to you uh, for sticking uh, with this book and sticking with me uh, through this season. I know several of you, several of you actually, um, not just one, several of you, uh, went into this asking me, why are we studying Lamentations? Um, and others of you asked me specifically, okay, so we're in Lamentations. How long are we going to be in the book of Lamentations? Uh, but I have, again, I've been so encouraged by how you've listened actively, um, how you've engaged, how you've wrestled with this book. Um, and I was just thinking, even this week, how much I love, I love teaching you. It's an honor and a, and a privilege. It really is. So thank you. So now um, we arrive at chapter 5. And chapter 5 is a bit different, actually. Uh, we, we know that this whole book is this corporate lament. And it's lamentations. It's a corporate lament. It's a corporate cry of pain and despair in light of the destruction and exile of Jerusalem. Uh, God brought his severe discipline on his people because of the sin that had taken place among the people for hundreds and hundreds of years and their refusal to turn back to him. But now here in chapter five, um, things turn just a little bit because today what we actually find is this prayer. And, and in it, we see hope amidst the darkness of their situation. And by the way, it was dark. And so if you are here this morning and, and you find yourself in a difficult place, Maybe you're here today and you're facing some level of, of pain. Or maybe you're here today and, and you know someone else. Maybe it's a friend or a coworker. Um, you know someone else that's 
in a dark season and you want to know how to, how to help them or, or maybe you're here and you're in a really good place right now in your life, but you're mature enough in your faith that you know and understand how broken the world is, meaning you know darkness inevitably will come. Okay, this is for you today. Uh, there is hope today, real hope. Not the type of hope that says whatever happens, happens. I just really hope things go my way. Um, it's not a groundless hope that says, well, things are just awful, horrible around me, but I just hope somehow everything will work out. True hope, true hope can be found. This relational hope, this confident expectation that the Lord is good and that he is in control no matter what, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it. So that's what today, that's what today is about. We're going to work our way uh, through this prayer, this prayerful longing for God to bring restoration. And hopefully in this and through this, we will be a people who know how to find hope regardless of our circumstances and situations as well. So how do we find true and lasting hope? This confident expectation when we're in the dark. That's what we're going to try to answer today. How do we find hope when we're in the dark? The first thing we're going to see in this text, the first thing we should do is turn to the Lord who sees. Turn to the Lord who sees. This is how Lamentations 5, the last, last chapter of the book, opens. It starts like this. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Chapters 1, 2, and 4, if you recall, uh, they begin with the word how, which is meant to communicate this, this strong level of despair, this, this shock and outrage at what has happened to them. And, and here in chapter 5, we see actually a similar shock here, but the context for that shock and awe is a little bit different because now that despair has turned them to this heartfelt prayer, a prayer for God to remember what has happened to them. And, and what they are doing here now in verse one, what we see is that they're actually turning themselves to the Lord. Uh, now, at first glance, maybe you heard that point, like turn to the Lord who sees, you see that they're turning to the Lord, and your first thought is, this is a no-brainer. Of course we should do this if we're in the dark. Of course, that's obvious, but it isn't. Okay, it isn't obvious, because I want us to think about our own lives and how easy it is, really, to not turn to the Lord in our seasons and times of darkness, and rather, instead, to turn to ourselves and to turn to others. Right? We have the tendency to do that more than not, don't we? Um, it's easy for my heart to turn to other things in times, of season, times and seasons of trouble. But if we're going to have real hope, true and lasting hope in the dark, we must start by turning to the Lord because true restoration, we're going to see, actually begins right there. And, and just by way of quick reminder, uh, who is the Lord here? Who is the Lord? Who are we actually talking about? In your Bible, uh, the one that you have in front of you, it's likely that word Lord is likely in all caps. It's, 
certainly on all caps in the ESV version or translation, which we mainly use here at Freedom Village. That's on the screen. Uh, but uh, it's not capitalized on the screen. Uh, but it usually is and should be. Um, but the Lord here is Yahweh, okay? The Lord here is Yahweh. It's the most sacred name for God revealed to Moses in the Old Testament. It's such a holy and set-apart name that, that Jewish people wouldn't even dare to say that name, Yahweh, out loud. It's the name that pointed to the absolute faithfulness, the steadfast love, the perfect justice, and incomparable power of God. It was, it was Yahweh who made promises to Abraham, uh, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It was this Yahweh who sent plagues on Egypt to rescue his people out of slavery. It was Yahweh who, who led and provided for his people through the wilderness. It was Yahweh who gave his people his law, his instruction on how life works best. It was Yahweh who brought his people into the promised land and, and pushed back their enemies. It was Yahweh who sent his prophets to call his people to turn from their sin and, and their rebellion. Right? We know it was this Yahweh who invited them, invited the people into a deep and profound and meaningful relationship with him so that they could not just live aimlessly, but live purposely and flourish. And with that understanding and conviction, Jerusalem now turns their face to that God. They pray to Yahweh in their darkness. They believe that he can see them and therefore that he can help them. You see that in verse one? Oh Lord, what do they say? Look and see our disgrace. You have the ability to see us. You always have. You've always looked upon your people. Do it again. You've looked at us in our times of, of, of thriving, of flourishing, in times of pain before, in the past, Lord. So see us once again. Remember us as we turn to you. Psalm 56, starting in verse 8, says this. You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. It's a cry to the Lord. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? In the midst of all the despair, of all the hopelessness, Jerusalem looks to God and says, we remember your faithfulness, O Lord. We remember your promises to us. And so we trust that you have not forgotten us, even though it looks like all is lost. We believe we believe that you have not and you will not abandon your people. The author here says, see our disgrace. It's an interesting word, disgrace. See our shame. See what happened to us because of our sin. He's saying, the author is saying, on behalf of Jerusalem, look at our pain. 
Look at our pain. See what's happened to us. And then he shares that pain and disgrace all through verses 2 through 18. And just skim through this with me, okay? Through verses 2 through 18, it's the pain once again. We've been invaded, he says, overrun. We've been abandoned like orphans. We are economically depressed, totally exhausted, the author says. We have depended on other nations. Our society has been turned upside down. In verse 9, he says, we are desperate. In verse 10, he says, we are sick. Verse 11, he says, our women have been assaulted. Our elders and leaders have been dishonored. We are oppressed, he says. We are ashamed. We are deeply grieving. In other words, everywhere the people looked, there was nothing but destruction. And he has been mindful of that and reminding us of that reality every single chapter, every single poem of this book, every single one. Every aspect of the nation had been affected. It's all ruined. The nation's only hope, only hope, was that God had not forgotten them. And so, now, they turn to him. And and you know, there is so much comfort, so much comfort found in knowing that God knows. Just that he knows, that he understands, that he sees so much comfort. He sees you. He sees us. The only question is, will we see him? It's not a question of, does he see you? It's a question of, will you see him? When we are in the dark, will we turn to him? His face has not abandoned you. He's looking at you at all seasons, at all times. Will you turn your face back to him? Turn to the Lord who sees, if you want hope, in the dark Second, how do we find this true and lasting hope while we're in the dark? Pour out your heart, pour out your heart to the Lord of all. It's the second step almost, if you will. Pour out your heart to the Lord of all. Turn to him, look at him, know that he sees, and as you do that, pour out your heart to the Lord who is above it all. In verses 19 through 20, the author says there, but you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. And then he says, why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Now we know, we know in times of of hurt, uh, uh, in times of pain and struggle, when we are in the dark, it is easy to come to the conclusion that life is totally out of control. Or worse, that God is not ultimately in control. But all throughout Lamentations, we get this assurance that that God is supreme, that he reigns over all things, everything, including our pain. That's been a central message to this book, that God is always at the center of our circumstances. And we see that here once again. He says, but you, O Lord, reign forever. You reign forever. And by the way, this is the second, the second but statement in the book. The first one we found in Lamentations chapter three. Maybe you remember it in verse 21. It's probably my favorite 
uh, verse in this entire book, almost made this the subtitle for the entire series. He says, but all this despair, all this pain, all this anguish, all seems lost, all seems hopeless, but this I call to mind, he says, and therefore I have hope. And from there, that verse led us to these truths that create in us this great hope. It was an invitation to turn from difficult circumstances, to turn to the truth about who God is. And now, now we have this second but statement here. And this is a statement of faith, actually. It's turned from a, a, this, this, this strong-rooted faith. It's about, it's about who is in control. It's about who's over and above all things. It's about who my circumstances and situations are dependent upon. And I think this is important, very important to us and for us for two reasons. Because first, first, without a belief, without a belief that God is over and above all things, suffering, dark seasons, if you really think about it, they are intolerable. They're pointless. But deeper than that, in dark seasons, without a God who's above all things, um, we are hopeless. There is no answer. There is no pathway to hope whatsoever for pain unless there is faith in a God who is above that pain. But another reason I believe understanding God rules and reigns is significant in this context in particular is because when we understand that God is sovereign, that he's over and above all things, it actually gives us permission to pour out our hearts before him. And if you read through Lamentations 5, maybe sometime this week or before, what you notice about this prayer, it's really interesting, is that there are very few requests in this prayer. Like when we approach prayer, usually it's like, well, what are your requests, right? Do you have any prayer requests? That's how we see prayer. I'm gonna go to God and I need to pray. Well, why do we need to pray? I got some things to ask him, right? There's some things that I need. That's how we typically approach prayer, but that's really not in Lamentations 5. There are a few, a few requests towards the end. We'll get there. But in large part, this is just a people pouring out their concerns. It's a description of what they are facing. It's a prayer of what they're going through, and that's it. You know, but I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that so much because what it tells us, what it tells us is that it is good and right, actually, to come messy and unedited before the Lord. That as we turn to him, actually, we have permission to pour out our souls before him. Psalm 62 tells us this. It says, trust in him at all times, not just good seasons, but dark seasons. Trust in him at all times, O people. Here it is. Pour out your heart before him. Why? Because God is a refuge for us. He's a safe place. He's a rescuer, a restorer, a redeemer. So trust him. You can pour out your heart before him. So this is giving us permission. And actually, it's more than just permission. It's an invitation by or from the Lord of all to tell the Lord of all what's going on in your life. To tell him you're hurting to tell him that you're confused, to tell him that you're skeptical, that you have some doubt about 
who he is and his character, that when you don't know what to say, that you can actually just go before him with tears, telling him, God, I don't know what to say, but I'm here. You know how I feel. And if you don't, let me remind you, this is how I feel, right? This is a relationship with God. Right? He's not a robot, right? Which is why the author here of Lamentations can say in verse 20, and I, I, I love that he says first, first, you're sovereign, you're over and above all things. Then he says in verse 20, why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? What an honest, what an honest, but at the same time, broken question. And yet, and yet, this verse does not negate the reality and the hope that God rules over all things. This, by the way, is a great example of why you need to always take in God's word in context. Because if you're not careful, someone, you know, crossage that, like, you know, cross-stitch that verse, puts that on a wall, or you wear that around, it's like, wow, it's interesting in the Bible. Like, the Jews thought he forgot them. <laughs> right? You got to read the Bible in context. There is actually, this, this verse is rooted in a deep-seated trust. God, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand all that's happening, all the despair before me, but I do understand you reign forever. Your throne endures. And just this one word of caution, I just, I added this actually last night, this point. Just this one word of caution to us in regards to pouring out our hearts. We need to know that there is a big difference um, it's actually a difference between the spirit and the flesh when it comes to lamenting and complaining. There's a difference, okay? There's a difference between lamenting and complaining. A complaint is telling God he's doing it wrong. A, a lament is telling God what's wrong. A, a complaint comes from a posture of pride. A lament comes from a posture of real and raw humility that just has honest questions. A complaint comes from a lack of faith. But biblical lament is rooted in deep-seated faith, and that's what we see here. And so with that, is there anything going on in your life today for which you need to pray personally, but you, O oh Lord, reign forever? Maybe that needs to be your prayer today. Do you find yourself abandoned? Do you find yourself depressed? Maybe some of you here, you're exhausted. Maybe you're at your, like, your wit's end. You're desperate. Are you wondering or internally thinking to yourself, maybe it's even out loud, why do you forsake me, God, for so many days? Why has this continued? If that's you, I would strongly suggest to you that it would be good for your heart, good for your soul to join with the author of Lamentations in saying, but you, O Lord, reign forever. You can just practice this, fill in the blank. God, I am blank, but you reign forever. God, I'm sick, but you reign forever. God, I'm depressed, but you reign forever. God, I'm anxious, but you reign forever. God, I don't know my next step, but you reign forever. If you want hope in the dark, pour out your heart to the Lord of all. And then third, and then third, we can find hope in the dark if we set our hearts on God's restorative promises. Set your heart 
Set your heart on God's restorative promises. Look at verse 21. This is is the verse we got to focus here on. This is good. Beautiful, encouraging verse. At the end of all the lamenting, just two verses left, the author says this. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. When I read this verse, um, really, I think in some ways, studying through Lamentations, it's the first time I even really noticed this verse, to be honest. Because Lamentations is one of those books that's like, it's in your one-year daily Bible, and you get through it quickly so that you can move to like the New Testament portion of your reading. Or maybe you just like focus on Lamentations 3. It's like that pinnacle, right? Because we know those verses, your steadfast love, you know, unending mercy, great. And I, and I just, I've just missed this. When I read this verse, though, I asked myself, what would possibly give these people any confidence to go to God with a prayer like this? How? Because again, let's not forget. Let's not forget the scene here. Let's not forget. Right? We believe the author is writing this. Imagine the picture. The author is writing this as he sits outside the city of Jerusalem. It's been leveled, right? Decimated. Things are still likely up in smoke as he writes this word. There is no more temple. God's presence has left his people. All feels lost. And from our point of view, it's lost. And yet, they still come before him, not just turn to him, even more than that, they they dare to ask him, restore us. After everything that they've done, and everything that they've been through, why would they ask to be restored? Why would they even think that they have a chance at this after everything that's just happened before them? Part of me was like, this, is this just like wishful optimism? <laughs> like, we just hope. I don't think that's there in this text, though, at all. Verse 21 is here because God's people knew his promises. They knew what God said to them hundreds of years before. Like in Deuteronomy 30, where it says this. Listen to how beautiful, this is why we tend to, again, we tend to run to the Old Testament. This is why I love to preach one book of new and then go back to the old and new. There's so much to learn. And think about their current situation, what they've gone through. And hundreds of years before this, look at what God told them in Deuteronomy 30. How faithful, how good is God? Listen to this. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul. Listen, if you return to me, you and your children, come back. If you do all that I've asked, not just with your mind, but with your heart and your soul, get this, then the Lord your God will do what? Restore, it's the exact same word in Lamentations. 
The Lord your God will restore your fortunes. Same word. And what? Have mercy on you. Lamentations 3, steadfast love of the Lord means forever. His mercy never ends. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. <laughs> See, God promised. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring nations to come against you if you turn away from me. I'm going to scatter you. But if you, but I promise if you turn back to me, I'm going to restore you. That's what this text says. And those praying here in Lamentations, trust me, they knew this. Every Jewish male before they were 12 years old would be able to recite this verse from memorization. First five books of the Bible. It was required. They knew this. And so now, towards the final, at the very end of Lamentations, the author here recalls this in hope. With courage and confidence, with no indication, not from the earthly standpoint, no indication that help is coming, they ask in the dark, God, restore us. And I really don't want us to miss this point. Because notice here that the hope for the people of Israel, we know that the hope for the people of Israel was that God would one day bring them back to their land and that he would restore them to their former glory. They wanted that. That is certainly true. But this desire for restoration is so much more than just a longing for the glory days of David, than the, for the beautiful days of Solomon. This prayer from the people to God was primarily about their restoration to God. See, more than the loss of the temple, more than the loss of their city, even bigger than their loss of identity, the greatest loss was the presence and relationship that they had with God, which is why the author specifically writes, restore us, what? To yourself, O Lord. Not just restore our fortunes, right? Restore the buildings, right? Restore all the wealth. No, no, no. Restore us to yourself, O Lord. See, listen, more, than, more often than not, it's what we know about God's promises, that God's promises to us aren't dealing with specific things that he's going to do in our lives. It's more about promises or promising to be a certain God in our lives. In other words, most of his promises deal with who he promises to be to us versus the specifics of what he's going to do for us. So for example, it's not like he's going to say, oh, I promise to give you X amount in your bank account. I promise you to marry a guy named blank and gives you the name. I promise that someday you're going to have one, two, three, you know, that many kids. No, that's not typically there. Not specifics like that about what he's going to do for us. Promises about what he's going to be for us. Promises like, I'm going to be faithful to you. Promises like, I'm going to be good to you. Promises like, I'm going to be ever present with you. Promises to forgive us, promises to sustain us, promises to never forgive, uh, to never give up on us, promises like, I'm going to come back for you, or I'm going to come to you, Advent, first time. Someday I'm coming again to bring you home to me. So many promises like this. 
And so when we find ourselves in the dark, if you want hope, if you want hope, turn to the Lord who sees. It's clear. Turn to the Lord who sees. Pour out your heart to the one who is over and above all things. And set your heart on the God who holds within his hands countless promises for those who belong to him. Well, we now come to the end of the book. It's a long journey together over the last month and a half. Very last verse. Look at verse 22, how all this ends. It says this. Again, in context. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. And then listen to what he says. Unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. And that's how the book ends. Merry Christmas. <laughs> he says, restore us, God. Restore us unless you've totally rejected us, unless you've abandoned us. Now, the big question here is, is Jerusalem, is the author here questioning God's eventual restoration? Like, is this saying, we, we hope you restore us, but we're not really sure if you will. It sort of reads that way in English, but that's not what I believe is here. I don't see that here. I think it's clear, very clear, that they know God will restore them if they choose to turn back to him. But at the same time, I believe that they have now been so deeply humbled through their discipline that these words are necessary. And so this is more of, we want to be restored to you, O God. We long to be back with you. But at the same time, we know that we don't deserve it. We know what we have done. We don't deserve the restoration, but we desperately want to be back with you. That's what we see here. And so all that's left after all of this, after the book of Lamentations, it closes. All the lamenting, all the prayers, all the tears, all the grief, all that's left now is waiting. That's it. Waiting. Waiting for the Lord to show up and deliver them. You know, and we talked about waiting a little bit when we worked through chapter 3, right? We said there that our waiting is never a waste, right? That, that our waiting is not wasted. That we can know that God is always working out everything for our good. But there's something more that I want us to know about seasons of, of waiting. Because waiting in the dark can be so hard, right? When, when is this all going to end? How long am I going to struggle? How long do I have to go through this pain? When are things going to turn around for me? You know, sometimes it feels in those moments of waiting that God has actually withdrawn from us, that he has turned his face from us, disappeared. But I want us to hang on to this truth that while we are waiting for him to move, simple truth but profound today, while we are waiting for him to move, he is with us while we are waiting. That's what I want you to know. He's with you. In other words, we wait for him with him. 
We wait for him with him. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. He is with us even in the dark. That's why King David in Psalms 23 could say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, in other words, even though I walk through darkness, God, I will fear no evil. I won't be afraid. Why? For you are with me. So listen, what that means is the absence of God's movement in your life, action in your life, does not point to the absence of his presence in your life. God's timing is perfect. We don't know all of his plans. We don't know all of his purposes. We often can't see the big picture. But what we do know is that we wait for him, with him. He is near to those who belong to him, always. That's a promise. And just so we are clear on what actually happens in regards to this particular story, it's a great story. You can read about it all through the New Old Testament and the prophets. We find it in the scriptures. We read that here in Lamentations, the people are exiled in 587 BC after what seems to be a complete loss of everything, a complete loss of identity, loss of hope, loss of God's promises. A few years later, 48 years to be exact, in 539 BC, Babylon, the, the nation, the people who conquered Israel, Jerusalem, and all the other nations, that nation that took them, destroyed them. They, in turn, were destroyed by the Persians. And then, and then, when the Persian king Cyrus took the throne in 559 BC, 20 years after that, so we're talking 68 years, roughly 70 years after Lamentations, he tells the Israelites, you can go home. God uses him and says, you can go home. And not just go home, but go rebuild Jerusalem. Nearly 70 years after all this destruction and exile, all the tears that we've been reading about, God allowed his people to go back home. God came through. It took time, almost 70 years. It took his timing, but he fulfilled his promise to his people. And what that tells us, what that should communicate to us today, and as we go about our lives, is no matter how dark things may seem, God is still alive and he is still at work. Our only job is to look to him and to trust him. You know, we all go through a variety of valley seasons. We all have dark times. Some of us go through periods of long, prolonged darkness. Some of us go through deeper levels of darkness than others. But one thing, one thing we all have in common is that each of us actually faces, comes against the greatest darkness of all. We all face it, and that is God's judgment that we deserve for our sin before him. We all face that, and there's nothing darker than that. No dark situation in your life, no matter how dark it may seem, and I know things can get really dark, but no dark time can touch the breadth and the depth of the darkness that we face without a Savior, 
for our sins before a holy, righteous God. See, by nature and choice, you and I, like the Israelites we've been reading about these last month and a half, you and I continue to turn away from the Lord and to turn to our idols, even though we have been warned time and time again. We choose to go our own way. We choose, we make the choice to sit on the throne of our lives, sometimes daily. We harden our hearts to God's will. We harden, callous our hearts to his ways. And because of that, because of our sin, the Bible is so clear, the scriptures are clear, we cannot be with God. We cannot because of our sin. We must be separated from him, exiled from him, just like the Israelites in Jerusalem. Same thing. Listen, because of our sin, we were all once in darkness, or some of us here still actually stand in darkness. But here's the hope. Jesus came. Light came down. And Jesus took our darkness for us, and he brought it to the cross. And then he defeated our sin by raising from the dead to bring us into his marvelous light. And if he has dealt with our greatest darkness, think this out with me, even just logically. Those of you with the emotional side in the room, think with me logically. If he has dealt with our greatest darkness, think about this. Can't we trust him with all of our lesser darknesses? If he truly has victory over our most profound darkness, can't we trust him with every other darkness we experience in this life? Absolutely, and we should. So church family, in seasons of darkness, seasons of pain and suffering, my encouragement to you this morning is simple. Practice lament. Turn to the Lord. Cry out to him. Set your heart on his promises. Wait for him with him. And as we lament amidst this broken world, and oh my goodness, are there going to be times and seasons where we should rightfully lament. But let us not forget in those moments, let us not forget the promise that one day, one glorious day, all lamenting will cease. Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Here it is. Neither shall there be mourning, no more lamenting, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Someone once said, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian, but not forever. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian, but not forever. For Jesus has bought our restoration through his death and resurrection. And one day he will bring an end to our lament through his glorious return for his church. This is the book of Lamentations. Come soon. 
King Jesus, come soon. Amen. Let's pray.